science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Welcome aboard. All right, let me get our questions out there for you. Two starters, uh, bezoars were once believed to be a universal treatment for what? Bezoars were once believed to be a universal treatment for what? And uh, the second question, in 1800, British astronomer William Herschel made a discovery using a prism and a thermometer. What did he discover? If you know the answer to either one of those questions, you call us at 514-790-800. You can also text to 514-800. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society. And, and uh, chatting with you here Sunday afternoons, I try to answer questions by email, by telephone, or from our students with a goal towards separating sense from nonsense. That is our mandate. Okay, let me just start out uh, to separate a bit of uh, nonsense that uh, has happened uh, over the last couple of weeks. We had that um, terrible train wreck in Ohio, but some of the headlines that described it really were outlandish. The one that really uh, bugged me was the description of this event as America's Chernobyl. This is absolute nonsense. Chernobyl was a horrific accident with the release of radioactive material leading to the death of many people. There is no radioactive material involved here at all. Of course, that doesn't mean that this is not a, a terrible accident. It, it was, but nowhere near as catastrophic as Chernobyl. I mean, that is just a ridiculous uh, comparison. Uh, what happened in this case is that uh, 11 uh, tanker cars uh, were derailed from this very, very long train. It seems that uh, wheels got overheated and uh, that is what caused the derailment. Five of these cars carried vinyl chloride. Now, vinyl chloride is um, a chemical that is produced in very, very high volumes in the world because it is the starting material for polyvinyl chloride or PVC. And you know that PVC is used in all kinds of, of uh, consumer items. It's used in toys, it's used in medical tubing, vinyl rooftops of, of cars, vinyl shower curtains, vinyl raincoats, vinyl flooring, uh, vinyl window frames, uh, vinyl paneling on houses. I mean, it is one of the most widely used plastics. Now, the plastic itself is certainly not, uh, not toxic, but the vinyl chloride, which is used to make it, is. In fact, vinyl chloride is carcinogenic. Way back in the 1930s and 1940s, when it was first produced on a large scale, researchers noted an increased incidence of, of a type of liver cancer in workers. Now, this was constant everyday exposure to high doses of vinyl chloride. Vinyl chloride is a gas, so it's easy to be exposed to it through inhalation. And in those days, they had no safety features at all. I mean, nobody knew that, that vinyl chloride was carcinogenic. 
<laughs> Once that was discovered, uh, regulations were put into place and the air in the uh, production facilities now is very closely monitored to be sure that it's under one part per million. So five of these cars contained uh, vinyl chloride and it's liquefied under pressure. That's how it's transported. The concern was with the fire that uh, the heat would cause the liquid to turn into a gas. The gas would quickly expand and cause an explosion that could uh, blow up other cars in the train as well and also spread all sorts of chemicals over, over the landscape. So they decided to, to um, circumvent this by releasing the vinyl chloride into the air before it had a chance to explode. And of course, this caused a lot of concern in the, in the area because inhaling vinyl chloride is not a good thing. Now, you're not going to get cancer from one inhalation of this. That's not the, how the carcinogenicity works. It is constant exposure over years in an occupational en environment. It is most unlikely that, you know, one single exposure is going to have such a, a devastating consequence. However, it is highly irritating and corrosive, so you don't want to be inhaling it, that's for sure. But uh, it is not, uh, you know, radioactive material, so the, the consequences are, are not the same as it was in, in uh, Chernobyl. The um, vinyl chloride, when it burns, also releases some phosgene, which is indeed a, a toxic gas, and it also release, releases hydrogen chloride, which is also an irritant. So certainly there is reason to, to not go back into the area as long as you can smell stuff in the air. But they are monitoring it, and uh, the levels are, are very low. They're monitoring the water in the Ohio River, and uh, the chemicals that got in there were very quickly diluted. <clears throat> However, there is, I think, uh, a, a major issue here. And the major issue is that there are safety features that could have been on this train that was transporting hazardous materials that were not there. Uh, for example, there are there is monitoring equipment that can be uh, installed on these trains that would detect if any of the wheels are overheating. And there also are special kind of brakes that can be activated as soon as there's overheating and these were not installed. Uh, after the uh, Mississauga uh, train derailment uh, here in, in Canada, uh, when 250,000 people were evacuated because of uh, fear that a chlorine car would, would uh, blow up, uh, there were all kinds of safety measures instituted. But in the U.S., the industry fought against these safety features because it would cost them money to install this in, in trains. And when Congress wanted to pass a law to make it mandatory, the industry lobbied very, very strongly uh, against it. So indeed, uh, this accident could have been prevented if there had been proper safety features on, on that uh, train. So I, I certainly do not mean to minimize the uh, the problem here i mean you know there were toxic substances released although they diluted very quickly in the air and in in, in the water 
but it could have been prevented with proper safety equipment and com comparing uh, this accident to something like Chernobyl is, is totally uh, unwarranted. And then, of course, you've had other, other conspiracy theories as well, that this wasn't an accident, that it was orchestrated by the government for some reason. Uh, of course, uh, anytime that anything now happens in the States, that there will be some sort of conspiracy theory that uh, is, is brought out. So uh, that's the story. Uh, certainly, uh, <laughs> you want to hear any such accidents, train derailments. But unfortunately, these are not so unusual. There are hundreds of train derailments every year in North America for various reasons. However, this one did carry uh, a bunch of, uh, of chemicals that, that are problematic. Okay, I think we have uh, Kenny on the line who may have an answer to one of my questions. Hey, Kenny. Hi, Agumoa. I don't know how are you? Okay. It, it's warm outside, eh? I don't know. I haven't been out. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. The, classic, the second question you asked before, it was in 1800s, George, what did he discover, right? I, I asked in 1801, Johann Wilhelm Ritter. Uh, well, I, no, I, I asked... Uh, uh, British astronomer William Herschel. That's the one oh, I asked. Yeah, I think he, he discovered the planet uh, of the universe, uh, Uran uh, planet of Uranus. No. Oh, okay. No, that's not what he did with a prism and a thermometer. Oh, okay. He, he was an astronomer. I mean, he may have looked through a telescope and discovered that, but that's not what he did with a prism and a thermometer. All right. So I still have that question. 1800, British astronomer William Herschel made a discovery using a prism and a thermometer. What did he discover? The other question is, bezoars were once believed to be a universal treatment for what? If you have the answer to that, 514-790-0800, uh, you can also text to 514-800. All right. I'm going to ask you guys a favor. Some, uh, some of our senior people may be able to help uh, with this. And it has to do with the question that I asked on the trivia show this morning. I talked about Kuda Bucks, who appeared at the El Morocco nightclub here in Montreal in 1961. And the question I asked was, what did he have in common with Superman? Well, Kuda Bucks was an entertainer who was known as the man with X-ray eyes. And of course, that's the connection to Superman. As we all know, Superman also had X-ray vision. But here is the interesting story. Kuda Bucks uh, was uh, Pakistani, and he came to North America via England in the 1930s. As the story went, or as he told it, when he was 13 years old back in in uh, Pakistan, he had run away from home with a magician, and he became a magician's assistant, learning tricks, illusions, and eventually he had his own show in Pakistan. And then he began to wonder uh, whether or not there was such a thing as real magic. 
Of course, he was performing sleight of hand and illusions, you know, scientific trickery, essentially. But he wondered if there were any of these tricks that could be done for real. And he consulted yogis. And this is, you know, him telling the story. And he said he learned that he could concentrate and then be able to see without his eyes, just by sensing. So he developed an act whereby he would be blindfolded and nevertheless he could read or drive a car blindfolded or ride a bicycle through streets blindfolded. He had a TV show uh, that started in the 1950s and ran into early 1960s that uh, was available here. We, we were able to watch it on TV. Now, this is where I'm asking for some help from someone who might remember. My recollection is that at least for a year, uh, Kuda Bucks did his TV show out of CFCF here in Montreal. Uh, I don't know if I'm misremembering that or, or, or what, but I would really like to, to have some corroboration in, in this. So if anyone remembers Kuda Bucks, I mean, Kuda Bucks was really quite a big name entertainer uh, in the uh, 1940s, 50s, and early 60s in, in North America. As I said, he had a television show and he performed in nightclubs, he performed in, in theaters, and his classic act was this blindfold act where he would have um, volunteers from the audience come up and blindfold him. Now, this wasn't a simple blindfold. They would take two pieces of dough, put it over his eyes, and then use gauze and wrapped his, wrap his face in the gauze holding the, the dough in place. And uh, once they got through with that, it looked like... Uh, his head was mummified and nevertheless they would put a book in front of him and he was able to read now skeptics said that uh, it was all done because people don't understand how difficult it is to truly blindfold someone and um, uh, you can always sort of peek down your your nose and uh, he uh, even though he used the dough over his eyes, he, he, when they were applying it, he was kind of helping them hold it in place. So the skeptic said that he was able to maneuver it in such a way that there was always a little opening just beside the nose that he could see. And um, if you watch some of the videos of him or on the TV show, you could see that he kind of lifted his head back when he was reading supposedly without you know using his his eyes but uh i can tell you also that he did mystify some magicians magicians are very good at pick, picking up trickery and uh, there were magicians who who said they didn't know how he did what he did so uh yeah i i don't know for sure exactly how he did it uh i do know that it was a trick i know that you do not see uh, with your nose or with your mouth, uh, you only see with your your eye. But anyway, Kuda Bucks was a very entertaining uh, act. So if anybody remembers uh, the TV show and whether or not it actually was out of Montreal, I'd be happy to uh, to hear that. Uh, I can't ask him 
Kuda Bugs died in 1981, uh, you know, having entertained legions of people over uh, over many years. He also did some fire walking, and uh, he drove a uh, he rode a bicycle through the streets of London blindfolded. Uh, that got him a, a lot of uh, publicity. So he, he was, you know, sort of, uh, 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 what can I tell you? I mean, we, you know, we have magicians today like David Blaine who, who sit in blocks of ice. Uh, we have uh, fire walkers today uh, as well. But he was one of the originators uh, of this. All right. Uh, so, uh, I think uh, I do have an answer about Herschel's thermometer. Uh, he discovered infrared uh, radiation. Yes, this is, uh, this is basically true. Okay, well, let me just explain what, what he did with his prism and his thermometer. Uh, Herschel was actually testing different filters to pass sunlight through. And he noticed that the different filters with different colors uh, allowed different amounts of heat to come through. So he decided to uh, pass the light through a prism. And of course, when you pass light through a prism, as of course first shown uh, by Isaac Newton, it separates it into the different colors, violet, indigo, blue, green, yellow, orange, red. So Herschel was intrigued by the fact that when he placed his thermometer uh, into the different colors as separated by, by the prism, the thermometers showed a different temperature. But then he moved the thermometer outside of the red range where there was no color at all. And he saw that the temperature increased. So he uh, understood that there were some rays outside of the visible spectrum and they were beyond the visible spectrum. So he called it infrared. And, uh, you know, this was all because the thermometer detected a somewhat higher temperature uh, as he passed from the red light to what was this invisible radiation, which was uh, infrared. And he published this in, uh, in the year 1800. And uh, that was the, uh, our first understanding of uh, infrared radiation, which, of course, is invisible, but we can sense it. Right? You can sense it even in total darkness. You know, if you, if you have a, a stove in the kitchen uh, that you can heat up uh, without it getting, without it glowing, you can still turn off all the lights. You can be in total darkness and you will still feel the heat, right? So then what you're feeling is uh, infrared radiation. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll take a break to check news with CTV and be right back. Hey, if you want to see some uh, miracles, 
next Saturday. In Montreal, it's Nuit Blanche. And uh, the McGill Chemistry Department always takes uh, a part of that uh, and uh, puts on a pretty good show. If you want to have a blast with chemistry, you can uh, come to the Automass Chemistry Building, which is on the corner of Sherbrooke and University, next Saturday. There will be several shows, some in English and some in French. If you want the English shows, they are at 7 p.m. and 10 p.m., and the French are at 8.30 and 11.30. And you will see all kinds of fascinating chemical demonstrations. It's fun for all. It's certainly uh, child-friendly, uh, and everyone will enjoy it. So that's uh, Nuit Blanche. Next uh, Saturday, you're looking for some entertainment on Saturday night. Bring the kids. 7 o'clock, 10 o'clock, English shows, 8.30, 11.30, French, Automass Chemistry Building, right on the corner of Sherbrooke and University. Tomorrow, uh, I'll be at the uh, Coates and Luke Public Library at 2 o'clock. That's the Eleanor London Library on Cavendish Boulevard uh, for my monthly talk. And uh, the topic tomorrow is the Nobel Prize. We're going to have some interesting stories about that. Uh, in fact, uh, let me pose a question about the Nobel Prize. Who is the only person to have won a Nobel Prize in two separate scientific disciplines? Who is the only person ever to win a Nobel Prize in two different scientific disciplines? So anyway, uh, tomorrow, 2 o'clock, everyone welcome, of course, at the Eleanor London uh, Public Library. And next Saturday night, Nuit Blanche at McGill. Okay, I think we have uh, Jerry on the line. Jerry. Hello? Hi. Dr. Dr. Joe, it's Gary. And Gary. you brought back so many memories with Kudabach. First of all, it was Linus Pauly who won two separate Nobel Prizes. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Linus. He won it for peace, and he won it for uh, for. Yes, um... but I, I I said two scientific disciplines. Oh, okay, okay. We'll go on to what I'm talking about. You brought okay. back so many great memories with Kudabox because um, he was on on Sunday night after Bonanza. Bonanza, I think, yes. was on at nine. Kudabox was on at ten. And to my knowledge, <clears throat> he did broadcast from CFCF in Montreal at Ogilvy Avenue. I would say in 1961. CFCF came on in January 20th, 1961. So 61, early 62, that was when he was on. Incredible yeah, show. Yeah, that's and the way I remember kid, it too. Yeah, for a little kid watching that, that was uh, you know, so incredible. I could just imagine myself bandaging my eyes and I could go to school and do all my work and be such a mystic, you know? But uh, yeah, wonderful was, memory. Uh, he, he also had a very nice voice. Yep. And I, I tried to Google him over the years because I do remember him because it was just a great memory. And I could find nothing about him on the Internet, whether he died. I mean, he's dead now for sure. But whatever happened to him, I Oh, I no, there's know. actually there's lot there's lots of stuff about him on the Internet. I don't spell lots his name right. Uh, yeah, it's Kuda, K-U-D-A-B-U-X. Oh, you'll find all kinds of uh, of stuff and pictures also and videos. No, it's 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 all there. But yeah. I'm glad that you remember that that it did come out of CFCF because yep. that's Ogilvy my recollection. Avenue Studio. Yep. 
Yeah, that's my recollection, but uh, uh, I haven't had anyone else uh, corroborate that. So yeah, yeah Sunday glad, night glad after Bonanza. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, uh, I also I had a message from from uh, Peter. Peter seems to know something about the overheating of the wheel bearings uh, on the trains. So Peter, if you want to give us a, a, a call, give us a call and we'll put you on the air. So maybe you can explain. Uh, what you know about the uh, the brakes, okay? Five one four seven nine zero zero eight hundred, of course, is is our number. And I still have the question about the bezoars. Bezoars were once believed to be a universal treatment for what? Tell us that. And the other question is: the only person to win two Nobel prizes in different scientific disciplines. Who was that person? So give us a call, 514-790-0800, or you can text to 514-800. I think we have Sonia on the line. I'm not sure if she has one of these questions. Sonia? Kenny. Go ahead. Yes, the the two different free prizes, John Barden. No, John Barden did win twice, but both of them in physics. Right. Okay, I said in two different scientific disciplines. Okay. Okay, only one person ever won a Nobel Prize in two different scientific disciplines. The scientific disciplines, of of course, are chemistry, physics, and physiology and medicine. So this person won a Nobel Prize in one and then won another Nobel Prize in the other discipline. Who was that person? Okay. Uh, someone wants to know if there's any uh, admission price for the Nuit Blanche. No, of course not. It's all uh, it's open to everyone, and it is uh, totally free. You know, we we live in a very strange world. On one hand, people are terrified of bacteria. They shell out all sorts of money for antibacterial cleansers. They're wiping their kitchens, their bathroom, their hands with a collage of products formulated to destroy bacteria. But when it comes to applying makeup to their face, mascara to their eyes, or deodorants to their armpits, heck with the bacteria, bring them on. Don't dare adulterate those products with preservatives. Consumers increasingly seek out products advertised as preservative-free or formaldehyde-free or paraben-free. I wonder if they would be as eager to buy these products if the label states content susceptible to bacterial contamination, which may result in skin rash or eye infection. Do people think that cosmetic manufacturers add preservatives just to boost their expenses? No, they add these chemicals to increase the safety of their products. Most cosmetics are oil and water emulsions, just the kind of medium that bacteria need to proliferate. Rub moisturizer in your skin, pick up some nice pseudomonas or staphylococcus bacteria that naturally inhabit your skin, introduce them into the jar when you take your next dab. With no other bacteria to keep them in check, nice cozy environment, nice comfy temperature of the bathroom, these bacteria can happily multiply, waiting to escape the next time a finger dips into the jar. Put the contaminated cream near the eye, an infection can follow. Put it on the skin, and you may be looking at a rash. If you have an open cut, bacteria can enter the bloodstream and you could be looking at a systemic infection. Various parabens and formaldehyde releasers added to products in very small amounts, less than 1% of total weight, 
can not only prevent such health problems, but they can also prevent spoilage due to bacterial action. So why do people want their cosmetics to be free of such chemicals? Because they have read in alarmist books or pseudoscientific websites that formaldehyde is a carcinogen and that parabens interferes with hormonal function and has been linked to breast cancer. Well, yes, technically formaldehyde is a carcinogen because if the dose is high enough, it can cause cancer in test animals. But that is a very different situation from its effects when a tiny dose is applied to the skin. Parabens do have estrogenic properties, but depending on which specific paraben we're talking about, the effects are a thousand to a million times less than that of estradiol, the body's own estrogen. Furthermore, parabens also have aromatase inhibiting activity, which actually reduces the conversion of testosterone to estrogen. Aromatase inhibitors are actually used in the treatment of breast cancer. The bottom line is that the traces of parabens that people are exposed to from cosmetics are not a health issue. But if the public wants preservative-free, then that is what producers will provide. So they are either leaving out preservatives or loading up their cosmetics with natural preservatives derived from roses or the honeysuckle, which have questionable efficacy. Another marketing trick is to use something like phenylpropanol, which is found in flowers and fruit and can be labeled as natural, even though it is actually produced synthetically in the lab. Not that that matters. In business, the customer is right even when he or she is wrong. How long before we see a product marketed as ingredient-free? I bet it would sell. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll check traffic and be right back. Okay, I think we lost Sonia, but I think we have her back. Sonia. Hi, I gotta hang my head out the window. I'm in rural country here. Okay. So, yeah, uh, in order to get a phone signal, I gotta do what I gotta do. But um, your question is about uh, a doctor, I mean, a, a magician that won Nobel Peace Prize or a Nobel Prize. Not the Peace Prize, but a Nobel Prize for his science. No, that wasn't my question. My okay, question well, can about, you please uh, repeat okay. the question? Who is the only person to win a Nobel Prize in two different scientific disciplines? I think it's, I think it's Dr. Creston. I believe he had a doctor in front of his name. The wonderful world of Dr. Creston. No, 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 no. Kreskin is a, a mentalist, a magician. He he has not and will never win a Nobel Prize. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, I'm I just do... trying to guess. I like that. Okay. Them. Very good. Thanks for calling anyway. All right. We we have Hal also on the line. Hi. Good afternoon, Dr. Joe. Thank you for taking Hi. my call. And as always, thank you for sharing your, your vast knowledge of science and chemistry with all of us. Uh, I have some uh, observations and uh, and then one or two questions for you. Okay. Thank you for the memories of uh, of Kudabak. <laughs> so you do remember. Oh, my God. I was about 12 years old, and uh, those were the early years of CFCF Marconi Television, Channel 12, yes. uh, on Ogilvy Avenue, I believe, where they had their studios. And it brought back That's memories right. of, of Magic Tom and... Uh, 
Johnny Jellybean and all, all that the early programs. We only had four four stations here in Montreal at that time, so uh, that was a lot of fun. Now, yeah, uh, I can tell you, I remember the first time I met uh, Magic Tom. Uh, I, I collected uh, electric trains, and so I uh, went to the Trenatorium, which was on St. Catherine's Seat at that time, which was a hobby store, on a Saturday afternoon, and he was doing magic there. And that's the first time I, I met Magic Tom. Then after I, I got to know him, I met him many times. He was a wonderful man. Yes, he was. He, uh, I also remember... He came to um, the Dairy Queen on Henry Barassa in Ahuntsic, where I was growing up, and uh, he put on a big show of magic in the parking lot. <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, boy, that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, you know where um, else he used to he used to perform Sunday nights, if I remember right, at Piazza Tommaso. That's right. Tommaso. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Uh, fond memories of, of, of those early years mm-hmm. of television. And, uh, Dr. Joe, I, I have a question for you. Um, you know the SodaStream uh, uh, machines that uh, yes. you, you can inject CO2 into tap yes. water and what have you? Well, I would imagine it's a very successful product line. They must have sold millions of these SodaStream devices worldwide. Um, what impact does, after you have carbonized the water, um, when you release it from the machine, the excess uh, CO2 is, is released into the atmosphere? Uh, what oh, effect yeah, or I mean, impact is that very small amount of CO2? It's, that... it's, it's a trivial amount in comparison okay. to everything else that releases carbon dioxide. Yeah. Okay, very that's, good. I, mean, I just, as, as an observation, you know, because... Yeah. Uh, uh, very beneficial to the environment because with the soda stream, uh, we've eliminated uh, the glass and the uh, the plastic containers that are used, uh, you know, to to uh, move the product around from the grocery stores, and uh, and also um, uh, the the cost and the impact on the environment of uh, shipping all this carbonized water all over the place. Of course, you know? and, and of manufacturing it in the first and, place. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah. And yeah. I also, I understand, is it true the CO2 that is used to recharge the cartridges is a byproduct of, um, of um, a chemical process and is not really, um, uh, let's say, they're not using any real energy to, to, uh, to create that CO2? That I'm not sure. I think, I think that depends on where they are producing it because there are several places where they, they produce it. I, okay. I have to look into that. I'm not sure, I'm not sure where, they get the, uh, where they get the CO2. Okay, and, and it has to be yeah. food-grade CO2. That's correct? Yes. Yeah, yes. okay. And one question for you, Dr. Joe. Going yeah. back to the early days of radio and television here in Montreal, the call sign, CFCF, do you know what that stood for? You know, I used to know that. I used to know it that. It stood for Canada's First, Canada's First. Finest. Yes, Canada's First. Yeah. Okay. Let go. me ask you a question. Yeah. Who 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 played Johnny Jellybean? Uh, Ted Ziegler. Yes. Very very good. And I Ted think Ziegler. he had a degree in psychology. 
Yeah, that I don't. That I I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think he he had a degree in child psychology or what have you. He was a very clever uh, person. I, I, uh, Doctor Joe. I used to come home for lunch from school every day, uh, growing up in a Hunsik, and I used to watch Johnny Jellybean at noon while I ate my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? That's, All right, that's I give, I, I, give, I, give I, you, uh, I give you another bit of trivia. My first ever television appearance was on Like Young. Oh my goodness! You remember Like Young on Saturday of afternoons? Of course, of course. It was, a local a... Dan- it was a local dance show, and when I was, I think, about twelve or thirteen years old, I went wow. uh, on on that show on a very early date. Yeah. Well, I have a dear friend who's in his 80s, and his better half was a go-go dancer on Like Young. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Do you remember who the hosts were on Like Young? Oh, I don't. Someone okay. comes to mind. That's Dave Boxer, but I don't think. No, it no, him. it wasn't Dave Boxer. The the lady oh. was June June Mack. Oh yes, yes, of yes, course. Yes, and the two guys. Uh, there oh, were two I guys. I, uh, one of them was, I think, Bob something. Anyway, I don't, uh, I don't remember that. Yeah. And then yeah. I did, I did many, many shows with Ralph Lockwood. Oh, uh, Ralph Lockwood, of course. Yeah, and with uh, Suzanne Deshotel. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, uh, with who, who else was on on there that I I worked with it was uh, Al Dubois. Yes. 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 Yeah, those I, are the early, yeah. the early years. Yeah. Well. A long time ago, Dr. Joe, when I was a young uh, avionic technician working for a company called Enotech Aviation here at Dorval, uh, we used to uh, service the CJAD traffic helicopter. And uh, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting and working, meeting with uh, Len Rocliffe, who, uh, who used to do the traffic before oh, yeah, Rick Lechner. Yeah. And uh, we were under pressure to get that helicopter in the air every morning and every afternoon and, and get it up and serviceable and so they could do uh, do the traffic. And uh, that was my first um, contact with, um, with uh, CJAD. And uh, the registration of that uh, helicopter happened to be uh, CF or Charlie Fox uh, uh, JAD, uh, Juliet no, Alpha really? Delta. Oh yeah, and uh, oh, we had we had a lot of fun back in those days keeping that machine. Um, do you rem- Do you uh, remember first. Jimmy Tapp? Yeah, of course, of course, Jimmy Tapp. Yeah, he was on he was on CFCF. Yeah, and yeah. I believe the and, the CJD station engineer was a fellow by the name of Lloyd Lloyd Sharkey, and uh, we worked with him on several occasions to to keep the radios going, you know, on, on the traffic helicopter. And, uh, boy, yeah. they and had money to spend. They had money to Dick spend. Dick Irvin hosted the Sports Squish show. That was yep. a good show. All yep. right, that was a little – so there's a little trip down memory lane. Thanks very much Thank for you, bringing Dr. that Joe. up. Thanks for the memory. Okay, we're, we're just about out of time here. Let me remind you, I'll be tomorrow, 2 o'clock, at the – Eleanor London Public Library on Cavendish. We're going to talk about the Nobel Prize and some wonderful discoveries. And next Saturday, you're all invited to Automass Chemistry Building at McGill for Nuit Blanche, 7 o'clock and 10 o'clock for the English shows, Bring the Kids, Need Demonstrations. And I'll be back chatting with you here again next week. Same time, same station. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping 
all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.